You're not good to to. You know, I was just saying the same thing to my priest uh, this morning. <laughs> it's really weird that you bring that up. That fits. Uh, Yenaku Teriatu, which is, I don't know, in Tamil, one of the many official languages of Singapore, including English. Get off the fence, Singapore. Pick a lane. <laughs> what is it? There are five official languages, English and Malay. Oh, I'm sorry. Four. There was just a line break between Malay and Huayu <laughs> Mandarin. Why you Mandarin? I'm not man. Why you? Why you American? Just because. <laughs> Apparently, that's uh, standard Chinese. Okay, standard Chinese. I bet that's what Mandarin people say. I bet just all reg- those regular. They're like, yeah, that's standard Chinese. And then everyone else Unleaded. speaking all the other 900 types of Chinese are like, that's fuck you. So it's, <laughs> it's just standard because you do it. Welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. We are racing this weekend in uh, Singapore, which is, I mean, I'm looking at a map right now, actually. It uh, has got to be some kind of crazy melting pot because it's, right? not only is it a, a city-state, uh, but it's right, well, it's on the tip of Malaysia and right to the north of Indonesia. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like that region already, like the Southeast Asia toward Oceania region is already like a weird melting pot um, yeah it's weird that even hearing tamil is like one of its main language which is predominantly like a like a south indian sri lankan th- language i believe it's like that's not even really that close like it's like it's close in terms of like when we're looking over that side of the globe but like it's still like you know thousands right. of miles away or whatever yeah it's weird man i'd love to go there Singapore always seems like, you know when, you, like, when you're watching like a sci-fi movie and they have that one planet which is like in the middle of all the other planets and that's where everyone like trades and like meets up and it's like always nighttime like an entire, when they go there. Like an entire city planet? Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like one of those. It's It always seems like one of those because it's like stuck on the end of this peninsula facing like a, you know, a bay. But like you can just imagine all the different ships coming in there, uh, spaceships or boat, boat ships or whatever. Um, I'd love to go. It, it sounds like a super interesting place. And yeah. an interesting place to put on a race as well. They literally do it in the downtown marina at nighttime, which is fairly futuristic too. Totally. And I think n- having it at nighttime just makes it look like Blade Runner all the time. <laughs> yeah, totally. Apparently it's hot as balls as well. Yeah. Well, we can get into weather uh, after the track walk, Danny. Mm. You want to take us through it? Sure. Why not? Uh, Singapore. Uh, this is actually the 10th time... Uh, we've returned not to the Singapore Grand Prix. They they did it years and years and years ago, but to uh, the modern version, the Singapore Grand Prix in the uh, Marina Bay Harbor. This is the I guess third track to use a harbor. Uh, Monaco, of course, we have every year. Uh, the Valencia Street Circuit, sorry, the Valencia Street Circuit uh, uh, of, of years gone. Um, also uh, very popular for for having cars drive around near water and try and not fall into it um generally not much of a problem in marina bay it's pretty enclosed uh it's a crazy track it's very um there's i don't know how do i put this there's been a safety car every single time <laughs> yeah i mean street circuits <laughs> tend to be those really narrow unforgiving things and this is this is one of those, so... Yeah, for sure. Uh, around the 61 laps, uh, they're going to take uh, about four sort of high-speed sections. There's about seven slow turning points. There's kind of three main overtaking spots. Um, 
across the, the whole thing. And then for the rest of the time, uh, the drivers are, are essentially trying to not crash into walls and, and uh, keep on top of it. It's very demanding for them for a number of reasons. One, it's incredibly warm. Um, it's humid and hot, even though it's at nighttime, which is a big problem uh, for the drivers. They have to drink quite a lot of water to make sure the water bottles don't break, which has happened in previous years. Um, it's also very bumpy. This is a, a, a regular ass road, or I think I think all of it is. Maybe not. I think all of it is actually. Um, obviously, the runoff areas and stuff are there as well, or maybe the grandstand area might not be. That that tends to be the case with some stuff. Um, but it's incredibly bumpy, and there's a number of spots where that is uh, uh, particularly difficult around uh, turn 4 and turn 19. Um, the cars can get quite uh, wiggly, so uh, that's another thing that the drivers are constantly battling with that we kind of can't see. Um, so that that's why the drivers in this one are particularly um, uh, shattered once they get out. I always get the same feeling from Interlagos as well, actually, um, that the, the heat and the distance... Uh, and the general bumpiness of that track as well is something that really uh, has it. So the drivers on the, the podium afterwards are particularly tired after these two races. Um, it's uh, spent about 50% on full throttle, so it's kind of not the slowest and not the fastest track. By comparison, uh, Spa is about 70% full throttle, Monaco is about 34%, so it's kind of okay. right in the middle. There's lots of high-speed bits and then lots of slowing down, plenty uh, of chicanes as well. Uh, great atmosphere, the crowd is right on top of the drivers, they can see their faces. Sometimes they get a little bit too close and run onto the track, we'll hope that does not happen <laughs> this year. Um, and then one of the most interesting things about it is that it's also like, it's literally part of a road system that is in use and, and you know sort of spaghettied around it so there will be plenty of camera shots of regular ass people driving home after work while the f1 race is happening uh, underneath them oh that's the road. right yeah um, that's such a cool is, shot it's absolutely insane uh, also worth mentioning dave lang's favorite circuit i believe i've heard he it's godlike yeah <laughs> uh so as for the track itself if i'm getting particular uh turn one first overtaking spot uh obviously because it's the only one that has a bit of runoff Actually, I take that back. The final turn does too, but you don't really want to be landing in that one, to be honest. Um, real hodgepodge of our first three corners. Generally, you have a lot of people breaking the rules, flying out into the uh, the, the runoff area and then uh, taking an advantage into the first couple of turns, using that sort of crazy scramble to their advantage to make sure Charlie Whiting doesn't give out to them afterwards. Uh, but generally, that whole section, you'll you'll get a lot of uh, uh, overtaking in and around it. If you don't manage to go around the end of turn one, then certainly the inside of turn three. Um, it's difficult to explain that whole section, to be honest. Look at a map. It's very, very weird. It's like a left, right, and then almost a hairpin. Um, coming out of turn four, like I said, it's quite bumpy. And then on the entrance into turn five, which you have to take relatively quick because there is a uh, very long, probably actually it is the longest straight, including if you don't count the little sort of kink to the left, right that they call turn six, it is actually the longest part of the track. Um, down into turn seven, a DRS zone, and then heavy braking zone into turn seven, uh, which is the second big overtaking spot on the track. Uh, once you do that, then you're sort of into this crazy concrete area for turns eight and nine, seven, eight, nine, actually, kind of um, uh, the sort of the area they refer to as Stamford. Uh, lots of concrete, 
Schumacher, I remember his turn eight, I think two years running, um, trying to overtake around there. So people tend not to. Sometimes coming out of turn seven, you get people trying to overtake back into turn eight using track position, uh, which can get a little bit hairy. That's why they have a, a, I wouldn't call it runoff, but they have an escape road. Actually, I wouldn't even call it an escape road because it doesn't go anywhere, but they have an escape lane, kind of like they have in Monaco when people bail out of corners and then have to reverse edit them. Um, on turn 8 to, to facilitate that. Uh, turn 9 is another left-hander. Lots of 90-degree slow turns around here. Short straight into turn 10 where there's a, a tight chicane here. They they changed this a couple of times over the years because um, people were taking it a little bit too fast. Uh, this whole section, generally, there's not much overtaking at all into turn 11 and 12. Turn 13, though, you tend to get some overtaking. There's a, a hairpin here. Uh, actually, sorry, I take that back. You don't tend to get on 13. On 14, you do. Um, uh, bumpy, bumpy, bumpy around here as well. This is kind of the last overtaking spot before you enter the rather ridiculous Sector 3, which is basically a, a chicane orgy <laughs> that every driver has to sort of slowly make their way around. Um, bumpy around here as well. These are very much, uh, obviously, real roads uh, in this section of the track. People generally tend to... Um, just keep calm and carry on. A couple of people in this area might go wide at turn 16 and 17, uh, turn 16 and turn 18 as well. Um, but generally, it's kind of uh, happy days until they get round to uh, turn uh, 23. Just to say, the entrance into sector 13 is 14, the exit is 23. It's not that much track. That's how many turns there are. Um, basically, nine, ten turns in that one section, which is pretty crazy. Um, for in case it hasn't been obvious enough, overtaking on this track relatively difficult. Um, it's actually not that bad in packs, but the leader at the front usually has a pretty good uh, ride. Uh, seven of the last nine starts uh, in the Singapore Grand Prix have been won by the full position. Uh, the only exceptions, to be honest, are kind of flukes. Vettel won in 2012, but that was only because Hamilton and Maldonado, uh, who are ahead of him, would you believe it, uh, <laughs> both retired. Um, and then the other one was the inaugural race in 2008, which Fernando Alonso won because uh, his Renault teammate uh, intentionally crashed. So <laughs> we also can't really say that that was a, a fair win either. Um, but yeah, that's it. That's the Singapore track in a nutshell. It's a, it, it's another track that when you watch on television, you'll sort of understand the layout of it rather well. Um, very interesting. In terms of exciting tracks, it's not the most exciting. I feel like if this was a less interesting looking track during the daytime it wouldn't be as much fun um but it's a pretty solid race and generally it's a lot more entertaining just because of the nature of the race uh, and because of the the ever-present uh, looming um worry about a safety car happening at any second uh yeah so looking yeah that, that in particular can throw a lot of strategies you know out the window uh or 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 totally turn somebody's race around yeah i mean there was a i think it was Maybe four years ago, Verstappen was driving a Toro Rosso, stalled on the grid, um, basically got lapped. I think they had to pull him into the, the pit lane, uh, started the car, got lapped, and then there was a crash, and he was allowed to unlap himself, and he managed to get up into the points. So it is totally the type of track where a safety car can, can get somebody who is essentially down and out for the whole race uh, after the first lap, um, and I think he might have finished eight or something. Excellent. Well, let's take it to the weather. Uh, this 
let's see nighttime. nighttime qualifying and race qualifying at 9 p.m local time and uh the race at 8 p.m local time starting uh Ooh. so no sun but we do have uh some hot temperatures uh 83 degrees for the qualifying day or 30 degrees celsius Ooh. uh with 78 percent humidity oh Jeez. god uh, what does that do to engines? I wonder as well. I, I don't know. Probably right. they probably have to adjust their their ratios. I don't know. It's just, that's why my uh, uh, phrase at the top was I don't know. Five uh, percent <laughs> chance of precipitation on qualifying day Saturday, but that climbs 5%. to twenty four percent. Wow, on really? Race day, yeah. Similar temperatures though, eighty six thirty. Um, and, uh, similar, uh, humidity. Crazy. Yeah. 25. I can't remember. There must have been wet races there. I'm sure there was, but, um, yeah, interesting. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, uh, I'm, I'm trying to just racking my brain to see if there was any rain before, but that, I mean, what a nightmare of a race if there's rain. It's already, like, so difficult. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that would be fun. Uh, tires, ultra soft, super soft, and soft this weekend. Uh, looks like Ooh. most teams are packing the ultra softs on. Um, uh, only one, two, three different teams taking more uh, than two sets of super softs uh, and one set cool. of softs. So um, pretty, pretty even across the board there. Um, and. Yeah, I think that's it for talking about the Singapore track, unless you've got anything else. No, that's, uh, you know, I, I feel like it's the type of track where once you watch qualifying, you'll kind of remember. Um, that first section, that first little part of the track is, is going to be full of fun throughout the race. So if people want to check out a, a track walk or something or even play the game, watch that first little section. Um, the rest of it's a bit of a higgledy-piggledy. You'll sort of, you do, if you don't know the track, you'll know by the end of the race, but there's so many turns on it that it's kind of hard to, to know everywhere um, all the time. But it's, uh, yeah, good good viewing experience. Speaking of the video game, have you played 2017 yet? I haven't, no. When did it come out? Last week? Something like that, yeah. Pretty pretty soon. Um, I reviewed, like, five of them for GameSpot. I think <laughs> the last game was the last thing I did at GameSpot. Yeah. Um, and last year's game was good. Yeah, I've I've heard uh I think I've heard good things about this year. I I don't know. I I been have been meaning to download it but uh have not had the chance yet. Hey man, let's consult a fine CBS property Metacritic. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Giant that. Bomb and they don't have oh, a yeah. review up. No, I think I think the I think they lost all their F1 reviewers. They did. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I searched for F1 uh, Metacritic 2018 and 2017 to see which way they went with it. Um, I think they went with 2017 because when I typed in 2018, I got Pure Farming 2018, mm. which uh, is not out yet, but I look forward to that next calendar year. Uh, F1 2017 rocking a hot 86 on Metacritic. Okay, yeah. Um, that's pretty solid. I wonder what last year's got. It probably got pretty good, too. Um, they're solid. They've They've... I think Cody's have done a good job on that series. Some folks aren't super into them and prefer the the. Um, I mean, I prefer. Yeah, I'm going to mention Project Cars in this podcast again. Um, <laughs> 86, 82, last one. Okay, uh, this year's game does have a tech tree. Ooh, I, I think they they've gone more and more on the the, if not the simmy stuff, the uh, the depth to to the technical side. Um, right. So I'm really curious to check that out. 
Uh, speaking of farming games, though, did you see that picture from Gamescom of Angela Merkel playing Farming Simulator? <laughs> sure did. It's oh, up there it's with so Barack good. Obama getting a copy of The Witcher 2. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> uh, uh, in other news from the world, Danny. World news. World news. The dominoes have started to fall in the silly season. Uh, signs Renault deal sets up McLaren Honda changes. This is from Autosport.com, and this is a maelstrom of business deals. Right. Let's jump uh, in. But, okay, so they say Carlos Signs has signed a deal to join Renault and trigger a series of domino changes that will secure McLaren, the French car manufacturer's engines, for 2018. Ooh. So... Uh, Signs goes to McLaren. Uh, Signs goes to Renault. McLaren gets Renault engines. That's weird. Because I think they're like, we know a guy who knows these Renault engines. Wanted, Renault wanted some kind of sweetener in order to give uh, to switch from Toro Rosso supplying to McLaren supplying. Right. If that makes any sense. Because I think Toro Rosso is going to switch to McLaren. Uh, oh, God. Uh, Wait, to Honda? To Honda. Yes. Why would they fucking do that? I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they're, the, they're, the, they're the B team, right? For, for, for Red Bull. So maybe they need the money. Because with a Honda engine comes a bunch of money. Or they don't have to pay as much for their customer engine. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. I mean, I guess uh, Toro Rosso have been kind of like floundering the past. The past. I mean, they haven't been doing as well as they did in the past. They were. They. I feel like they were in the ascendancy a little bit more. But right, they were kind of the. I feel like Force India this year is last year's Toro Rosso. Well, it sounds like it's going to be a shakeup in the engines next year, regardless. But then you know, who knows? Everywhere, every Honda promised that this year again, and that, that obviously wasn't the case. Um, it's weird at this stage I feel like the most important thing with these engines is, is consistency is reliability is like as much as the the you know the, the strength of each engine is, is critical to, to winning the championship the amount of retirements that have happened this year are absolutely insane even with Red Bull like even with you know Verstappen unforced retirements has just been absolutely insane yeah so if, hopefully we'll sort that stuff out by next year if anything else but this, yeah, I don't know. This all seems very crazy. Somebody somebody smarter can probably figure out why they'd want to go to Honda. But if it's just a money thing, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, could you imagine Alonso staying with uh, McLaren and then having the same number of engine problems with a Renault engine? Right. Could you, so, and that's weird for Toro Rosso because if, if, if Carlos Sainz Jr. is leaving, I mean, I kind of feel like Kvyat is on his last legs as well. I mean, he would be that, the, the senior driver there. Yeah, but Toro Rosso's always been like a feeder uh, team as well for getting better drivers in there. Um, and they always have a bunch of like really young test drivers as well involved. They've got Pierre Gasly at the moment. Um, and then there's this Indonesian guy called Sean, who um, I've, I've seen some stuff about uh, who are probably eking to get in there maybe. Um and Danny Kvyat's been around for a while. Danny Kvyat's like the opposite of a feeder because he's he's had his chance at the big leagues and essentially got demoted again. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It seems weird. It's a weird time for Toro Rosso. Yeah, well, this uh, would in turn free up a place uh, at Toro Rosso for Pierre Gasly, uh, who yes. won last year's GP2 championship and has uh, 
is not a French a part of the Red Bull junior team. Um, so there were some rumors going around that he may be in as like this all the driver changes could happen as soon as Malaysia. Um, oh but, really? Yeah, I, I, I don't. Still rumors right now. Nothing really confirmed. Um, but I, I think the real questions here still yet to be answered uh, are what did this mean for Fernando Alonso and what do they mean for Robert Kubica? Yeah, because for he sure. was kind of like on the you know a shoe in for for Renault. Uh, yeah. But if Sainz has taken his spot, then um, and you know apparently Palmer would be the one to be dropped. Right. Um, yeah. And again, n- none of this is uh, for sure yet. But uh, Alonso has said that the engine isn't everything, so this may not necessarily be a you know full lock for Alonso to stay in McLaren. I gotta mm. imagine it, it makes things a lot easier. Um, but for Kubica's part, I think there were also let's see, Motorsport Magazine is reporting that uh, Robert Kubica has been released from the short-term contract he had been on with Renault since the beginning of his comeback program in May. Okay. Uh, at his request, in order that he might follow up on interest elsewhere for his services, parentheses, mm. understood to be Williams and Sauber. Williams and Sauber. Yeah. Go Interesting. With, go so with Williams. Don't, don't go with Sauber. Oh, I know, well, I know beggars can't be choosers, right? So what, what happens there? I mean, does Massa retire again? Does... Yeah, how maybe. How do you feel about Lance Stroll? Uh, I don't know. Keeping a seat? Um... I wonder if Massa and then Sauber. I mean, I guess you could take your pick. Like Pascal Verlein's not. Yeah, I don't know. It's a weird. It's such a weird one because like, Kvitsa's such an unknown, and I feel like these teams often. I mean, they've got Massa as well, but like I feel like a lot of these teams do bank a lot of their. You know, they like to have an old. They like to have a, at least one younger driver in there. Maybe it's just the the reality of the finances. In a way, Kvitsa would be a good swap for Massa. Like, yeah. he's an old head. He's relatively sensible. They've both been in horrific crashes. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. That that would fit better for me than, for instance, pulling Ericsson out or something like that. Um, yeah, weird. Yeah. I hope we do get a bit of a shuffle next year. Yeah, I'd love I to see. I'd love to see some crazy shuffles. I'm, I'm getting, I don't know, getting a little bit sick of Ferrari, Vettel, and Reich. <laughs> I'd love to see that get mixed up a bit. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of driver changes and uh, the things that they, I don't know how to do this transition, but it's good, solid. You got Formula it. Keep going. One super Never license stop. system is sure. set to be overhauled to make it quote almost compulsory for aspiring drivers to race in Formula Two, according uh, okay. to F two director uh, Didier Didier, Didier. Perrin. Yeah. Uh, this is from motorsport.com. At present, the champions of F2, European Formula 3, Formula E, IndyCar, and the World Endurance Championship LMP1 class all receive 40 points required to gain the super license necessary to race in F1. If driver does not win one of those uh, series, they must have compiled at least 40 points over a three-year period to qualify for a super license. Speaking at the launch of the new Formula 2 car, uh, at Monza last week, Perrin explained that the super license system is going to be changed to promote the F2 category by offering more points to its successful competitors. Quote, the super license system is going to be revised. It's going to be almost compulsory to race in F2. It won't be mandatory in theory, but it will be the preferred path to F1. 
that makes total total sense it's in line with what we sort of assumed they were doing with the rebranding of that um class yeah. like this yeah I, I mean like why don't we watch formula 2 it should be like college football or division 1 you know championship football or something like that soccer where where in the off season or when whenever there's not an F1 race on at least we could sit down and watch the the formula 2 stuff and i'm sure that is for a lot of people but it's just not there for me yet yeah. um so it doesn't have the visibility and names and all that stuff that that i feel uh, could benefit from that much much bigger audience like the fall off's pretty dramatic so yeah I, which is i feel like isn't the case in so much with nascar and indie stuff where you tend to get a lot of uh, support races being televised and as part of the i mean they're there on the weekend when you're there but it's the the sort of the the trickle down i feel like isn't there for for formula two so this makes a lot of sense yeah definitely i, I would like to see them do something like like nascar's uh oh, what are they called the monster energy series and then you've got the the xfinity series is that the there's like a there's a junior nascar and then you got camping road truck uh which is the one where they allow the 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 um, ambulances to park on the entrance to the pit? <laughs> that was nuts. Did you see that? Yeah, that was crazy. Fuck me. Some ambulance oh, drove onto the NASCAR circuit for some reason uh, over the weekend. <laughs> uh, but like MotoGP does this too uh, with Moto Two mm. and Moto Three. It's all just that one. I think is the most codified. Look, it's called MotoGP, Moto Two, yeah. Moto Three. They all happen at the same place on the same weekend. I think the commentators the, even do the same. It's the same commentators. They're just there oh, really? talking for like you know eight hours a day, and then just different <laughs> motorcycle things happen. Um, and they're all right there in the app. Like Moto Two or MotoGP is is doing it right. So that's great. It's like SmackDown and Raw. It's just uh, sure. Equal. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I, I'm in favor of this from like a, I guess from a branding and just like the ability to dive deeper into a sport that I like easily. Um, Mm. I, I think where people are a little bummed about this is that like, you won't have the opportunity as, as, as readily to have someone like come from IndyCar or, uh, come from the world endurance championship. So your, your favorites in other sports wouldn't necessarily be able to come to formula one which is a bummer but like that doesn't i don't know that that hasn't happened a lot in the time that i've been watching formula one um it is yeah. fun yeah like oh alexander or uh valentino rossi is testing an f1 car maybe he could uh you know drive for one of the teams like that yes that'd be amazing but it, it, it didn't happen so it's it's uh, it's like what i love about like the ufc and stuff sometimes you pull in somebody who's never fought in that or done that before or mcgregor it's like but it's like or mcgregor yeah it's like prize fights or whatever yeah exactly it's it's a uh, it's it's fun to see i'm trying to think who like in recent memory who is a particularly successful indie driver that came over to f1 um let me have a think about it i mean uh there's been some a lot of crossover there uh andretti um montoya although i think he went the other way I mean, Alonso went the other way as well. Yeah. Well, well briefly, he did that one. Um, there we go. <laughs> um, Americans. Americans. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Danny, speaking of different racing series around the world, do you want to take it around the world? Oh, race around the world. Break it down, Drew. You really had to warm up for that one. Yeah, and I, I, I did a little bit of uh, editorializing there on the, on the back end. Feeling pretty good about it. <laughs> nice, I love it. 
Uh, speaking of Camping World Truck, they are at the Chicagoland Speedway in Joliet, Illinois, uh, for the Chicagoland 225. Uh, World Superbike Championship is at the Autodromo Internacional de Argave in uh, C- Sitio de Escampadinho, Mexihoera, Port Portimao, Brazil, Portugal. Perfect. That's actually the exact same speed and uh, camber that people locally pronounce it with as well. So congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Australian supercars are at Stand Down Raceway in Prince's Highway, Springville, Victoria, Australia. I, I don't think Prince's I. Highway. I don't think I necessarily need to say the address of the uh, the raceway, but it's in Victoria, Australia. Why, why don't you need to say the address? Because uh, everyone knows where the Wilson Security Sand Down Five Hundred is. They sure do. <laughs> it's a terrible accent. I'm sorry. Uh, the World Endurance Championship is at the Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas, USA, for the six hours of Austin, uh, along with Formula 4 United States Championship, also mm. at Utah. Uh, the British Touring Car Championship is at Silverstone Circuit in Northamptonshire. Oh, but that's only yeah. half the circuit. Oh. Where's the other half, then? Oh, it's in another one, I forget. I forget the name. Shropshire or something. United Kingdom, anyway. Oh, yes, it's wonderful track. Uh, by the way, I was corrected on Twitter that uh, uh, the the Great British Baking Show, as it is called in uh, American Netflix, off, is yes called Bake Off elsewhere because Pillsbury has the Bake Off trademark in America. You're kidding? Yep. That's so weird. The yeah. NHRA is at ZMAX Dragway, which sounds like they should have laser tag there. Yep. Uh, in Concord, North Carolina, for the Carolina Nationals. I'd watch laser tag driving. That'd be that'd be great. Uh, the World Rally Cross Championship is at... Oh, my God. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. Enjoy it, folks. Sit down, everyone. B- Biker Niku Mez in... You a stroke? Vidzimez Spilseta in Riga... Latvia. Oh, it's in Riga. Rad. Of course. Yeah. No, every time I meet somebody from Latvia, I say, are you from Riga? And they always <laughs> say yes. And they're always like, wow, you know Latvia? And I'm like, nope. I know your capital city. And apparently half the country lives there. And that's the half that travels outside of Latvia. So it's great. If you ever meet anyone from... It's the same in Nigeria. If you say, ask them if they're from... Uh, or no, ask them if they're from Lagos. It's like every single time. No problem. <laughs> it's like uh, whenever... Whenever I need to name drop anyone from Estonia, I go with Oit Tanik, who's a rally driver. He's the only Estonian <laughs> I know ever. I literally don't know it's what always Estonian. always a, like, a, wow, all right, you know an Estonian. I've just typed in Persons Estonia. I've gone to the Persons Estonia section on Google, and boy, <laughs> there's a lot of people here I don't know who the, any of them are. <laughs> like notable Estonians? It's a tiny yeah. little country. It is a tiny country. Quite tannic. There's a there's a pop artist called Curly, who looks like a fucking uh, unicorn. Okay. She's like an elven lady, but she has a, a spike on her head. So that's that's rad. That, cool. That's cool. There's lots of old dudes who look like they've made really good poetry and literature. Hmm. But I'm really sorry. If you're from Estonia, could you please let us know 
there's a lot of composers. Arvo Part. I don't know who that is. I should know who that is. Thomas Hendrix Eves. IndyCar! <laughs> we'll be at Sonoma Raceway in Sonoma, California, just up the road. Yo, you want to play Estonian person Top Trumps later? <laughs> I don't want to know what that is. Do you know Top Trumps? Shit, What's top Americans, man. Top Trumps, it's like Gwent, but for everything else. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think the IndyCar, this is their last race of the season, according to... Let me just jump ahead here to emails. According to is it the last race of the IndyCar season dot com? Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, Kevin from <laughs> Indianapolis, he would know. Uh, yeah, he sure would. <laughs> Jesus, the IndyCar season finale is this weekend at Sonoma Raceway, and it is shaping up to be a great race. The championship standings are incredibly close, even closer. Is that than Sonoma? The, yeah. Damn. Uh, should go. Even closer than the 2010 Formula One finale. Going into the race, there yeah. are four drivers with a real shot to win the whole thing. Only wow. three points separate the rising star Joseph Newgarden and Mr. Perfect Scott Dixon atop the standings. If mm. either of them win the race, that driver will be crowned a series champion. Uh, series veteran Helio Castroneves is not far behind, and a win at Sonoma should get him his first championship. That's surprising. Uh, although there is a scenario where he could win and finish second in the standings. Defending champion Simon Pagano is currently fourth in the standings. He needs a win to have Dixon and Newgarden finish off the podium. Uh, if another driver happens to win, then it will most likely come down to Nixon versus Newgarden, and whoever finishes higher wow. will win it all. Personally, I will be rooting for Castroneves because this is most likely his final season in IndyCar, oh, and the championship yeah. is the only thing missing from his impressive career. In case you were wondering, Fernando Alonso still holds on to 47 points and is currently 28th in the standings. <laughs> that's awesome. He's doing that's better good. in Indy than he is in F1 this year. Yeah. That's fucked up. Oh, yeah. It sounds like the ending sounds a bit like the ending in Abu Dhabi a couple of years back when Web when it was four people um, in line to, to maybe win and Weber was one of them. Mm. And Kastronev is in a similar spot where it's like he, he would be great if he could get that win. Yeah, but outside chances. Mm. We got one more race though, Danny. Oh, yeah, Drew, where's that? I wonder where it is. Somewhere it's foreign? Foreign soil? I, I guess, because it's in Chicago Land Speedway, which is oh, the land yeah. of Dave Lang. Dave Land. Dave, Dave it's the zone where Dave Just, is. Yep. Uh, in, in Joliet, Illinois, which sounds a little French to me. I don't know. Anyway. Juliet, I believe the locals pronounce it. <laughs> okay. Juliet. Anyway, it's the Chicago Land 400. Ram? Ra what? The Ram 400? Or Ch Chicago or Land. Oh, Chicago Land. I said the Ram 400. I love that there's a... there's a, uh, I was about to say breed. I love that there's a um, type of car in America called Ram. The trucks. It's <laughs> a really fucking great... Because it's Ram. It's, gonna, it's a truck and it's called Ram. That's like having a... It's like having a truck and having a called Barge or like Crash. <laughs> Like, it's called Ram. It's going to ram you off the road. Yeah. It's amazing. Oh, I'm sorry. I misspoke. It is not the Chicago Land 400. There's been a name change. Oh, my God. Late it name is. change, everybody. Tales of the Turtles 400. <laughs> Fucking hell. I don't even... What is that? I, I'm Googling it right now, my friend. Is there a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie? Tales of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is a comic book series. <laughs> oh, boy. Started in 1987. That can't be right. It ended in 2010. What? 
What? Why are we naming Tales of the Turtles 400 is a monster energy drink NASCAR cop series. Sorry. <clears throat> Hailed annually at Chicagoland Speedway in Joliet, Illinois. <laughs> it's, uh... Why is it still called that? They apparently don't make the comic book anymore. That's... Very confusing. Tales of the Turtles 400. It's, oh, it's a TV show. Tales of the Turtles is on Nickelodeon now. There you go. It's a TV show. You know that those Venn diagrams for Nickelodeon and NASCAR? Mm-hmm. Bringing them together, baby. That's me. Bringing them back. Martin Trucks Jr. won it last year. Singapore, Danny. Singapore. Oh, yeah. Kicks one off more Friday, September 15th. <laughs> Uh, at 1.30 in the a.m. Well, that's just uh, really annoying. Right? Yes. Um, on Pacific Time for mm. Free Practice 1. Free Practice 2 is 5.30 a.m. on NBC Sports Network. Uh, practice 3 is, let's see, 3 a.m. on NBC Sports Network app. Qualifying at 6 a.m. On CNBC and The Race, Danny. The Race. More of a watchable time. Well, nope, that's wrong. Nope. Uh, totally not. 4 a.m. <laughs> 4 a.m. one countdown. Uh, 5 a.m. is the Grand Prix. Yeah. Those uh, 5 a.m. races, baby. Uh. 5 a.m. on NBC Sports Network. Every year you think it's going to be different because it's nighttime. You're like, oh, it's a nighttime race. That'll be different. That might be like the day or like the night before. But then you remember, oh, it's in Singapore. <laughs> it doesn't fucking matter. It's at the same time as all the European races. Great. Yeah. Hooray! Uh, let's run down the driver standings, shall we? Hamilton on top. Let's do that rundown. 238. That's my new That's my new thing. Okay. Doing a rundown, yeah! <laughs> Fettel right behind with 235. Botas in third with 197. Ricardo's got 144. Raikkonen 138. Verstappen uh, in a distant six with 68. Perez Ooh. with 58. Ocon's got 55. Uh, that's a fun little battle. Yeah. Uh, Sainz has 36. Hulkenberg's got 34. Massa with 31. Boy, look at that. Sainz over Hulkenberg. So the Toro Rosso driver over the Renault driver. Wow. Uh, Massa with 31. Stroll and Grosjean tied with 24. Magnussen's got 19. I'm sorry, 11. Alonso's got 10. Verline's got 5. Kvyat's got 4. Van Dorn's got uh, 1. And Palmer, Ericsson, and Dario Giovinazzi. Also, Jensen Button and uh, Paul DeResta have 0 points. Wah-wah. Mercedes has 235, Ferrari has 373, Red Bull's got 212, Force India's got 113, Williams has 55, Toro Rosso has 40, Haas and crew have 35, Renault with 34, McLaren Honda with 11, and Sauber with 5. There you go. Uh, Speaking of the Drivers' Championship, uh, Neil B, a.k.a. Marduk on Twitter, uh, pointed out that uh, while the we were talking last week with uh, Dave Lang about the grid penalties and how stupid that is and how mm. one of the solutions was to dock championship points instead of grid spots. Oh, that, um, that's, ooh, yeah. Ooh, but we were kind of thinking that's, I mean, who cares about the, the constructor's championship? Everyone really just cares about the driver's championship. But Neil points out, while the driver's championship gets the glory, the constructor's championship pays the bills. That's right. So yes, where your team point. finishes in the Constructors' Championship indicates how much K 
cash money you will get at the end of the season uh, from Formula One. So I don't know if that's necessarily enough money to make it matter that much, uh, certainly for the smaller teams, but for those big teams that, uh, you know, that we're looking to curb with these rules. Uh, right. I don't know, but still, uh, yeah, good, good point now. Yeah, that's a good point as well, Jared, that it might end up like the weight of punishment might actually end up sitting with the lower teams, which is probably not what F1 want to do <laughs> as well, is punish the smaller teams right now. Um, but yeah, that's a good point. It is getting a little bit crazy, although. Yeah. I mean, they changed the rules so many times. Remember, you'd have that like the knock-on effect got, got dropped, so then you had teams, you know, losing 50 great places, but dumping them all out won't go like they're recycling. It's weird. Yeah. Um, let's take some emails, shall we? Let's do it. Why not? Uh, this from Eduardo in Florianopoli, Brazil. I don't know Brazil. if you uh, leave the S off. I did. Maybe not, because <laughs> it's not Italy. Uh, this, I don't know, this email is kind of a bummer, but um, I think it's kind of interesting just to uh, show how small of a world um racing is and it gives a little uh you know rich textured history to the the current racing situation on the yeah. subject of didier another didier uh pironi are you familiar i drink pironi it's a delicious uh, italian beer okay uh hey drew and danny have you guys ever read anything about french f1 driver didier pironi so it's uh, probably french beer actually <laughs> <laughs> i just read an article about him and his story is interesting to say the least he became an f1 driver in 1978 the same year in which he won le mans uh, wow. He then joined Ferrari in 1981, becoming Gilles Villeneuve's teammate. Wow. Uh, but Imola 82 is where it becomes a soap opera. The race started with 14 drivers on the grid, since a number of teams decided to boycott it due to a political war between FISA, F1's then-governing body, and the Constructors Association. Interesting. Toward the end of the race, Villeneuve was leading, followed by Peroni, and both drivers were far ahead of the rest of the pack, so Ferrari put up a sign that read, Slow, in order to minimize the risks of mechanical failure or running out of fuel, thus securing a 1-2. Uh, Villeneuve thought it also meant keeping their positions, but Peroni read it as slowing yes. down while still being free to race. I do remember this. He overtook Villeneuve, who thought yeah. his teammate was just spicing things up, and then overtook Peroni back to retain P1. However, on the last lap, Peroni overtook him once again and won the race. Uh, Villeneuve felt betrayed and was quoted as saying, quote, I'll never speak to Peroni again in my life. Gilles uh, <laughs> Villeneuve, real, uh, real bad bedside manner. Yeah, I guess so. don't, don't cross Gilles Villeneuve. Uh, but then died the next racing weekend while qualifying in Belgium. Oh, my God. Peroni it's was spa, told... Spa. Yeah, Peroni was told by the Villeneuve family not to attend his teammate's funeral. Later that year, while qualifying in Hockenheim, Peroni suffered a crash very similar to Villeneuve's wow. and nearly lost his legs. He underwent over 30 surgeries in order to be able to walk again. He was so far ahead in the 1982 championship that even after missing the last five races, he finished the season only five points behind the champion, K.K. Rosberg. Wow. Uh, Peroni tried to return to F1, but he had severe pain in his ankles while practicing, so he turned to offshore powerboat racing. Uh, but in, <laughs> oh I mean, yeah, sure, yeah, I, somewhere. Yeah, I guess speed, man, lands, air, or or sea. Uh, but in August 23rd, 1987, while racing in England, he crashed his boat and died, age 35. Oh God. my goodness. 70s and 80s were just, and, and really any time before that. Yeah. Uh, a few days before the crash that took his life, his wife found out she was pregnant with twins, and Peroni oh, said he wanted the boys to be named Jill and Didier. 
Oh, that's the sweetest. Oh my god. Isn't that amazing? Oh, that's so. Oh god. I want to uh, cry. Field Peroni has now become an engineer with the Mercedes F1 team for a few wow. years. Wow. Which means that being the son of the guy who lost the championship to KK Rosberg, he was directly involved in making a world champion of the son of the guy who beat his dad. So sorry for the insane. long email. This is too entertaining not to share. Best from Eduardo. Thanks, Eduardo. That's wow. That's nuts. Oh, I can't believe you made. That's so sweet. Isn't that great? And, and utterly tragic. Yeah. Uh, wow. Speaking of the Belgian Grand Prix, this uh, from Whitney from Florida. Stay safe, Whitney. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and everyone down in Houston as well. Seriously. Uh, dear Drew and Danny, and maybe Dave, first I'd like to say thank you. My husband started listening to the podcast a couple years ago, and now we both follow Formula One, even cooking Rad. a Grand Prix-themed meal each race and blogging about it. Oh my god, where is this blog? I know, she doesn't link it. I Link it the blog. I would love, I would love to, uh, to see that. It's such a great idea. S- Singapore. What's what food is Singapore? I think it's a, a crazy mix of uh, like Malaysian pot, and <laughs> India and yeah and China. Um, anyway, uh, this past week we attended our first Grand Prix at Circuit Spa Frankenshaw. Yes. However you pronounce that, and are still enjoying our vacation in the Belgian Ardennes. Man, what a nice. first GP! That's great. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, the race was great, but the location was incredible. Everyone talks about the elevation change at Spa, but I didn't realize how great it was until I looked out on the track. Yeah. Race day included other exciting races, as well as delicious waffles, frites, and beer. Oh, palm frites. Love those palm frites. Fucking covered in mayonnaise. Awesome. What? Bit of curry sauce on them as well. You get those curry. Ooh, mm. Man, that sounds good. It's so good. I love Belgian shit. Uh, we love the race, the track, and this little corner of Belgium. I highly recommend it for any race fan to come here. Uh, I do have to defend the people of the Netherlands from the unfair judgments of a certain Dave Lang. Maybe he was surrounded by a bad bunch at last year's go, or maybe it was my orange number 33 hat, but the Dutchies on that were wonderful. Even after the huge groan of disappointment heard round the circuit at lap eight, the crowds stayed, continuing to set off orange smoke flares and celebrate until the end of the race and after. Awesome. They all adopted Ricardo as their new hero and continued to have a good time, even in the enormous traffic jam leaving the circuit. Uh, anyway, thanks again for introducing our family to Formula One and continuing the podcast, uh, the great podcast about speedy race cars. This week has been an unforgettable experience, and we probably wouldn't have had without Shift F1 from Whitney. That is right. Thank you, Whitney. Nice yeah, words. thanks so much. An awesome first Grand Prix. Seriously, that's great. Yeah, that's that's a great one to go to, especially if you're in Florida. Like to go that far for your first as well is super cool. I kind of ha- I felt the same away um, a little bit when I went to. Um, uh, Austin, even though it was like not far from here, it still felt like exotic in like a an interesting sort of way. So yeah, that's that's right. Certainly had some character. Yeah. Uh, and last email here, Ben from Leeds in the UK uh, says, "Hey, this email is mainly for Danny, um, hey. Hey. but on the subject of Murray Walker. Oh yeah, uh, probably a less obvious choice for one of your profiles from F1 history. But can you please do Murray Walker? I think Ben is about to though. So." Uh. Uh, <laughs> He's such a huge figure in the sport and deserves a mention for newer fans or fans around the world. I honestly, honestly think Murray played a big part in making me a huge F1 fan since I was a kid. A lot of people talk about F1 being boring compared to the old days. Maybe it isn't as exciting as it used to be, but I also think Murray made it significantly more exciting when he was commentating. So yeah, he was, he was a commentator. 
Uh, there are loads of YouTube clips of his best bits and Murrayisms. Here are a few choice ones. And I, and for uh, American listeners, I, I think he's judging from these quotes that Ben has chosen here. He appears to be like the Yogi Berra of uh, Formula One. <laughs> he's so, kind of a uh, he's like Yogi Berra mixed with David Attenborough. Okay, because he is quite a not a, a regal voice, and is a, yeah, he comes out with all of these very good uh, uh, isms. Like I can hear him talking about having a lump in his throat when Damon Hill won the championship in my head right now. Like right. very memorable stuff. Uh, so here's here's some of his choice quotes. Mansell is slowing down, taking it easy, uh, taking it easy. Oh no, he isn't. It's a lap record. Uh, this is an interesting circuit because it has inclines and not just up but down as well (laughs) the lead car is absolutely unique except for the one behind it which is identical (laughs) the most important part of the car is the nut that holds on the wheel that's right yeah there are a lot of ifs in formula one in fact if is formula one backwards It's not, but yeah, sure, okay. <laughs> uh, I don't make mistakes. I make prophecies that immediately turn out to be wrong. <laughs> uh, with half the race gone, there is still half the race to go. Uh, and there is a dry line appearing in the tunnel. Obvious, really, as it has a roof. <laughs> uh, and finally, it's lap 26 out of 58, which, unless I'm very much mistaken, is half distance. And yes, I am very much mistaken. Twice 26 is not 58. Indeed, we are not quite at the halfway point. Oh, well, now we are. Amazing. Uh, he also mentioned Damon Hill's uh, final lap in Suzuka 1996. Um, and uh, Ben says, thanks for the great podcast. Even as a lifelong F1 fan, I've enjoyed it right from the start. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Ben. That's awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah, he's... Uh... Yeah, Murray Walker's a, an institution. He's old now. He's in his 90s. Um, he had he had this really good way of coming up with these funny phrases um, because he actually used to work in advertising. So oh, he, really? He was kind of, yeah, he was like a really perfect sort of fit for F1. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, maybe my memory is deceiving me a little bit, but in my head as well, Murray used to, in the, in the style of so many i mean eduardo was on there so many like i forget the name of the famous brazilian um commentator the guy who used to be on the radio uh, in the style of a lot of those old commentators that were essentially radio commentators that were on location um i i do believe murray walker used to commentate most of the races solo hmm. so it which is a totally different kind of style which i think between Looking at old F1 footage and remembering when I used to watch races back in the when I was a kid in the nineties, there was this sort of um, between the the, the 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 husky radio style of presenting, um, and also the the cameras which were kind of, you know, the on camera ca- on car cameras were super fuzzy and low fi and had like VHS almost like or, or analog, um, or like it's you know, coming glitches. from space. Totally, it had this feeling of you are you are being transported into the other side of the universe to, yeah. to watch it. There's like so some guys there who speaks English, who's who's in like Brazil, telling you what's going on, and then the camera footage is like clicking in and out. And I think that to me, I think that's an element that 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 to me is why I think F1 back in those days felt crazier. And it kind of has nothing to do with the sport. I think it just has to do with modern. Um, technology sort of taking the edges off but it did have that feeling yeah it felt like yeah you're you're watching the moon landing basically every weekend yeah. 
Yeah, I think there's I think there's some clips of that Brazilian guy uh, in the documentary Senna. Yes, uh, I seem to recall uh, some some pretty spirited Brazilian commentary. And they do all that weird stuff in Brazilian sports where they like play musical chimes whenever stuff happens, uh, which they do with um, uh, uh, soccer as well. I'm not sure if they still do, but they used to do like you know you get the whole go 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 all that stuff. But then also like music would play and <laughs> just like, like chime would go Brazil Brazil and all this sort of stuff. It was like <laughs> sh- yeah, exactly. I'm sure you'll know all about it soon enough, Drew. That's true. Uh, well, speaking of Senna and Brazil. Uh, Dave Law, a.k.a. The Middle Bit on Twitter, uh, sends in (laughs) this video clip uh, and says, seeing as one half of Shift F1 podcast is going to Brazil, godlike white socks. And then he links to this clip of, uh, which I've seen before, and it's one of my favorites. It's Ayrton Senna driving an NSX um, uh, in 1992, but it's got video, it's got a camera uh, picture in picture of his feet. So, um, right. It's, I've also seen it uh, mentioned as, like, watch this video if you want to learn the heel-toe technique. Um, okay. Which is really... it's They call it the heel-toe technique, but it's really... Uh, or they call it left-foot braking as well. Anyway, I'm not okay. super clear on the specific driving techniques, but he's using, like, his left foot to press the brake and the gas Clutch? at the same time. And the cl- oh. Yeah, and the clutch. It, yeah, it's just absolutely insane. It looks right. like he looks like he's a he's a drummer or something. Um, it's like the one thing they tell you not to do when you're learning how to drive. Right. Yeah. Right but you away. Need to do it if you're. Uh, yeah. You know, if you're. Uh, Which I t- tell you what, man. When I got in my first automatic car, when I when I finally got my American license and I drove my wife's car, it was the first time I'd driven an automatic in my life. The first thing I did was put my two feet on pedals. <laughs> there's no clutch. Right. I was like, she was like, no, like, what do you do? No, don't do that. Like, oh god, yeah, of course. So I had to like put my foot over to the side and then remember to keep it there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Have like another, like a third pedal just so that you can just play with it. Just push. Yeah. Like a block of wood. I just <laughs> stick in the back or something. <laughs> you would have spring on it, but my foot would keep drifting back over. <laughs> so I was like, no, 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 stay there, stay there, stay there. Can uh, you imagine? Yeah. I, I, I've, I've, it's, I feel like a drummer whenever I'm driving manual because it's right. just, it's like all the mental capacity I have just to to, to make my shifts correct. Um, <laughs> I, I can do it. It's just very, uh, very exhausting mentally. Mm. Uh, but my, my favorite uh, thing about this video, though, is Ayrton Senna's shoes. He is wearing oh, white yeah. socks, and they're not like racing shoes. They're like leather loafers. It's like he came from a dinner party or something. <laughs> they're just these like business-looking shoes. Uh, yeah, this is this. It, that's what makes it one of my my favorite uh, driving videos. Wow! Uh, and one boring. more one more piece from Twitter. This is John uh, Eden, aka Football A, uh, who says, "Check this out!" And he retweets um, a uh, a picture from the account Historical Picks, which is captioned: "Formula One World Champion Jackie Stewart wearing an early helmet camera to capture onboard footage, 1966." Oh, I've seen that one. That's the like that's the big massive one, right? Yeah. I mean, if you you know, 1966, just imagine what a camera looks like and you know that what he is wearing on his head is a, a massive rig. Uh but it it just looks great. It also it's looks like, a, like something out of yeah. a space program. 
Oh my god, is it? I'm looking at two pictures. There's one where he's got a Nikon strapped to his head, but that's obviously for photographs. Is this the one with the three lenses? The rotary? The three lenses, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like what looks like a battery pack on the other side. Or maybe it's just a counterweight. But uh, yeah, that's that's it for shout outs on Twitter. Uh, we are we are on Twitter. Follow at Shift F1 Podcast for show updates and any fun F1 stuff we run across. I am at Drew Scanlon. I'm at Danny O'Dwyer. As always, you can find our show notes at f1.cool, along with how to subscribe via RSS, iTunes, Google Play, and wherever podcasts are sold. Apparently, there's some problem going on with Google Play, so I'm going to have to right. uh, look into that. But uh, I am I am on the case. Top top man is on it. Mm. Uh, until next time, I am Drew Scanlon. He is Danny O'Dwyer. If you'd like to support us, we are both on Patreon. I am at cloth uh, <clears throat> patreon.com slash clothmap. Danny is patreon.com slash Danny O'Dwyer. Anything else? Danny... We t- my Patreon turned a year old this year. No clip is a year. That's right. Old. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It was hard getting it here. It almost died a couple of times, but here we are. <laughs> Keep, uh, yeah. That's that's. It's just like having a baby. I'm sure. Uh, we started selling T-shirts. If you like video game T-shirts, store.noclip.video. Uh, doing a party on Saturday, live stream party. Doing an AMA on Reddit games uh, Thursday. And yeah, we put up a new website as well, noclip.video. If you don't if you don't have a clue what I do, go to noclip.video and we basically have like a directory of all the documentaries we made that are free to watch, uh, with information and photographs and all that good stuff. So yeah, thank you so much to everyone who's supported me over the past year as well. It's uh it's been incredible to think that we it's gone this long and yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Well yeah, congratulations on the birthday and uh, to everyone else out there, happy race weekend everyone, and we will see you all next week. Yeah.